Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Scott Luton, Greg White with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Greg, how are we doing? I'm doing great. I, I love the uh, sunshine spirit of your, your shirt there, man. <laughs> I, I decided it. to go with an undershirt today. <laughs> not really, but it's odd it's wearing not. a white t-shirt, isn't it? <laughs> I just thought I would give it a try and just want people to know it's not an undershirt. Let <laughs> me put that in the comments, please. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, it's great to start uh, the supply chain buzz with a couple of laughs. Uh, we've got a great show teed up here today. Yeah. Welcome, everybody. Uh, we have got uh, not only we're going to be talking about some of the leading uh, newsmakers and topics across global business and across uh, global supply chain, but yeah, we've got a special theme today, food and retail supply chain check-in, Greg, and a couple of great guests. We've got Jerry Stevens with Outlier and Jordan White with Crisp joining us here about uh, 1220 or so. You jacked up, ready to go? Yeah. How about Crisp for the name of a food service or a food, a food industry company, right? That's how everybody wants their lettuce, right? So. <laughs> That's right. Um, let's see here. By the way, Tim says, and good morning, Tim, white t-shirts are cool. He's so, an MBA and a CEO. <laughs> so good. you're good to go. Yeah. He can he can proclaim like white T-shirt Friday or something like that in his own company. Well, um, he's also really big into healthcare, healthcare supply chain, if I'm not mistaken. So, Tim, great to have you back. Yeah. We're going to be probably talking a lot more about healthcare supply chain in the weeks and months to come. I'm gonna, we're going to go ahead and say hello to a few folks, and then we're going to knock out a couple of quick programming notes before we hit some of the stories of the hour. Um, I don't have I don't see who this is, but. Good afternoon from North Carolina. Great to have you here. we got someone from India via LinkedIn as well. Uh, Catherine, a lot of people from us today, aren't they? Yeah, you know, I think LinkedIn continues to go through some changes. And by the way, folks, if you've got a security setting that doesn't, um, if you don't want your profile to be picked up by your third-party platform, such as our live stream platform, that's typically where we run into a little challenge there. But the good mm -hmm. news is we see a lot of other folks and their names and their bright smiling faces like Catherine Whitehouse via LinkedIn. Great to see you here, Catherine. Let us know where you're tuned in from. Sushil is back with us via LinkedIn. Great to see you. Peter Bolay all night and all day is back with us from Canada. Peter, hope you had a great time last night for your stepdaughter's birthday dinner, I believe. Greg. So Peter and I were talking this morning about the medical device supply chain. So I don't know if you saw the article, Scott, but the FDA is pandering for money, panhandling for money, um, to whatever, be better in supply chain handling. So I may or may not have had a word or two to say about that in my <laughs> I think I saw, commentary today. Yes, I saw a little of that. Uh, and folks, if y'all want that daily dose of frank um, stuff you got to know about global supply chain, global business, make sure you're connected with Greg White. Uh, he drops out on LinkedIn just about every morning around 8 o'clock. So good stuff there. Helene is tuned in via LinkedIn, via France. Great to have you here. 
Aline, thanks so much for joining us. And hopefully I pronounced that first name right. If I didn't, let me know. Uh, Tom Raftery uh, is back with us. Hope this finds you well, Tom. Great to see you here today. And hello and good morning, good afternoon to everybody else that we couldn't hit. Uh, let's see, Mahmoud. I'm sorry. No, go Keep ahead. Going, <laughs> Mahmoud, Mahmoud is tuned in via LinkedIn from UAE. Great to see you here, Mahmoud. And our friend, dear friend, Gary Smith tuned in via LinkedIn from New York City. Great to see you, Gary. Welcome, everybody. And really big thanks to Jada, Amanda, Allie, and Clay behind the scenes making it happen here today. Okay, so Greg, we're going to be moving fast on this front segment yeah. before we bring on our guests. You ready to go? Let's go. All right, so let's do this. Let's talk. Uh, you, if y'all have joined us for these streams, then you know about these events, but just want to call your attention to it. Uh, our big webinar tomorrow, Digital Transformation, How It Accelerates and Strengthens Your Supply Chain, 1 o'clock Eastern Time tomorrow. A little bit of a delayed start, but it's free to join us. Come join Kevin and I as we navigate this conversation with our friends from TCU and Esker. And the link to register is in the show notes. Um, hey, folks, if you're looking for a job, looking looking to find a job, looking to how to work with recruiters, you're looking to... Um, improve your leadership skills, and then some. Check out this free webinar, July 29th. We've got one heck of a panel, Greg, assembled. Mar uh, Maria, Crystal, Peter, Rodney, and Mark. And for about three hours, they're going to be offering a mini masterclass on how to strengthen all of that uh, for any of the candidates uh, or folks looking to move up the ladder, so to speak, um, across the industry. Greg, that's a, that's a home run panel there. I should probably sit in on that in as much as I'm virtually unemployable. So um, <laughs> in, any, in any case, any of you have to be in better better shape than I am. But yeah, definitely tune in. I mean, we've got people whose job it is to help people through their careers like Rodney, people who have been through their entire career and basically starting over, Peter, um, and all of these current leaders that, that are making it happen every day. So yep. I think we've got a great panel there. Don't miss us. Join us this Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern time. Just make sure you register. The link to register is in the comments. And then finally, hey, we're really pleased to serve as the exclusive uh, provider of the uh, digital version of the Supply Chain Insights Global Summit coming up in September. Laura Ciceri, she's the, she's the mayor of this conference, the ringmaster, so to speak, September 7th through the 9th. Um, it is a hybrid event, uh, but to attend, uh, it's, it's very exclusive to attend. If you go to supplychainsightsglobalsummit.com, you can learn more about attending in person, or you can sign up for the remote feed. And uh, Greg and I are going to be navigating that for the uh, three days and, and featuring some of our hosts and, and some of the folks that, that uh, are attending virtually. So learn more and join us in September. Three whole days of me and Scott live online. <laughs> what more could you want? Uh, the truth is this, I mean, this is a really good and really powerful session as always anything uh, with Laura is, but I think we're starting to see Scott more people kind of moving towards virtual as these variants and whatnot kind of Agreed. ramp up. Right. Agreed. So, it, yeah. Um, it, it, healthy, but man, get educated. That's right. And, um, you know, COVID aside, uh, it's great to be connected and network and 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 get informed. We're going to be featuring some of the movers and shakers across global supply chain, including some of the folks that are in the stories that we're about to cover here today. So y'all join us and um, looking forward to a wonderful September event. Hello, Daria. Great to see you here today. Tuned in via LinkedIn. He's going to be, uh, I believe, in Atlanta soon, attending Georgia Tech. 
Yeah. Um, Nerfad is back. Um, the Jerry Seinfeld of supply chain. Nerfad, <laughs> hope this finds you well and great to see you here today. I believe uh, Amy Fisher is with us. Um, but I cannot find her comment. Amy, uh, good morning. Hope this finds you well. Have enjoyed our conversations going back a few weeks. Okay, so Greg, are you ready to dive in? We got three stories in about twelve minutes, my friend. Let's do it. All right. Make it happen. So I'm this first, you. <laughs> you're timing me. All right. So I uh, want to share a couple of quick headlines before we bring in uh, Jerry and Jordan, uh, and I want to lead off with this great read here in Supply Chain dive greg one of our favorite sources here ben unglesby which is a new name for me at supply chain dive um, but nevertheless this is a great article offers highlights from nrf's retail converge so greg get this you've we've heard the term agility once or a million times but that was one of the major themes that rose to the top uh, of the surface for this gathering of retail supply chain leaders now tony zuazo i believe i may have mispronounced his name Z-U-A-Z-O, Zuazo. Um, he's EVP Global Supply Chain at Dollar General, and he shared that his company, uh, he's one of, one, one of a, uh, numerous uh, retail supply chain leaders at this conference. Now, Dollar Generals are on like every corner, right? It's amazing. Mm-hmm. But his company's been able to keep up because they've gone the route of a single integrated distribution platform. Greg, this enables any store to be served by any distribution center in the network and get stuff the next day. Holy cow. Dollar General, at least according to Statista, had over 17,000 stores in 46 states as of February 2021. Goodness gracious. So, Greg, one other thing, I want to get your take here. Sure. Uh, Tony Zuizo, he's going to kill me if I get this wrong. But anyway, he's going to be one of the keynotes at the supply chain. Though. What's that? He's not going to kill you today. Okay. <laughs> September. Um, not yet, not till September. <laughs> he's one of the keynotes. You got uh, time to get it right. Yeah. <laughs> at the Supply Chain Insights Global Forum. So he's going to be sharing a lot of what they've been experiencing at Dollar General uh, and, and, you know, what they've been doing to advance through these, these uh, ever challenging sets of circumstances. Uh, all right. So, Greg, your take here. Well, they're notably a high performer in terms of supply chain, even during the height of the crisis. They've done a great job. 17,000 stores, you know, regardless of, of how big the store is or how many SKUs you have in it, is no small challenge. And they are all over the place. Um, my wife loves dollar stores, man. If there is a holiday coming up and you get a card from us, Chances are very good. It came from a dollar store. Well, so I should. Mylar balloons. Everything's a dollar. <laughs> so, um, no, but I, so, I mean, we've actually had some opportunity to, to um, take a look at how well these stores are doing. And as I said, Dollar General has stood for years as, as a model for retailers in, in having an efficient supply chain. Yeah. So, good, you know, good on them. And, we're definitely listening to the right person who has had both experience and success in the, in this difficult time. Excellent point. And by the way, I should correct myself. That was retail dive. I know we, we quote a lot and source a lot from supply chain dive, but this is one of their sister uh, properties, retail dive. So y'all check that out. Good job by Ben Ungles be there at retail dive. Okay. Moving right along. Hey, we're close to heading back to school here in Georgia, Greg. <laughs> Uh, I think our kids start next Tuesday. Wow. Um, 
But the Wall Street Journal is reporting that school systems across the country are having to cut down on menu offerings and other aspects of their programs. Do you guessed it? Supply chain or, or supply issues ranging from food items to even these plastic lunch trays, uh, labor shortages, and of course, transportation challenges in this hot freight market. As we chatted about on Friday with the U.S. Bank team in Sanmar. Um, quick commentary there, Greg. I know your your kids are a, a little bit older. Um, you know, it it never ceases to amaze me, and this this is totally personal commentary. Why we go back to school earlier in the South where it's hot, and later, in, <laughs> which makes sense, and later in the North when they go after Labor Day, mm. it seems like one that would save a lot of energy and give the supply chain maybe just a few more weeks. To recover, but as if school food is not bad enough, now you can't even get the best of it. <laughs> right. Well, guess what? Send your kids to school <laughs> with a brown bag, folks. I'm telling you. So on, we talked chicken a lot uh, last week on a couple of streams, including, of course, uh, with the U.S. Bank folks about freight. And there's reportedly a shortage of chicken nuggets uh, for institutions here and it's Greg a cascading effect from the from the wings that we've been talking about in fact last Friday I was you know my next door neighbor owns a sports bar yep in Kennesaw and Old Town Tavern if that's if that's if you're interested outstanding wings but I haven't eaten wings there for six weeks because they are 20 bucks for wow. 10 wings they must be really extra delicious they're, well, they're the really big ones. They have like a name for them. actually probably Jordan or Jerry know what the name is of them, but they're like size. Name. Anyways, uh, now now it has it has created a cascading effect on chicken breast and chicken tenders and chicken nuggets. How about that? Well, uh, tune in next week for the uh, right <laughs> poultry update. <laughs> All right, so I want to share a couple of quick comments, and we'll knock up the third story before we bring on our, our wonderful guests here today. Uh, Ramadeep is back with us via LinkedIn from Mississauga, uh, Mississauga, Mississauga Ontario. Okay, Ontario. Thank you, Greg. Yep. Appreciate that. Ramadeep, great to have you. Look forward to your perspective here today. Tom Raftery, little commentary. $1 per balloon sounds kind of expensive, Gregory. Does it? Okay. <laughs> I mean, I'm 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 willing to go to Spain if the balloons are lower cost, Tom. Right. But these are mylar balloons, the kind <laughs> with like pictures, happy birthday, and that kind of stuff on. So Nerfod, uh, you know, those those were school trays, as best I could tell. Uh, it might feel like prison sometimes, <laughs> but Nerfod, if you happen to know the difference, please do share. That's right. <laughs> John Buglino, great to have you here from our friends Holy over mackerel. at Optessa. Seen you in a while. Good to have you back. His kids go back right for Labor Day, so a long, that's, um, gosh, a month after ours go to back. Uh, brown bags with PB&J all day. Love that. Yeah. Um, okay, so I want to keep driving here. We're going to pull up this next story here, Greg. Although I think, you know, when we start talking school, cafeterias, that's like a, a universal. Everyone can relate to that. Right. Um, so we yeah. could probably feature a whole episode around that. But nevertheless, we've got to keep driving. Here's some good news, Greg. So according to this story via uh, NPR, leaders in the food industry may finally be addressing cyber issues. So that attack on JBS, you know, the, the meatpacking titan, appears mm. to be turning more heads and prompting the food industry to get uh, to take more proactive action on cyber threats. Many analysts have long pointed to 
various gaps when it comes to cybersecurity and uh, the complete failure to act and to uh, update and address these ri- these risks. But maybe the tide's starting to turn. Greg, what say you? Well, it's it's about time uh, because the manufacturers are the ones who make all the money in the food industry. And um, I can understand why distributors and retailers are possibly somewhat lax, but you know, these big processors and manufacturers, there's no excuse. So Mm. thankfully that is happening. You know, hopefully as they do many things, they, they will either mandate or, or, um, support the, the opportunity to participate in, in a, what do you want to call it? Cyber safe environment for, uh, people downstream like distributors and retailers and, and assure some, some, uh, cyber safety security through the through the supply chain there. Yep, because it, it's tough. I mean, I've worked with with food service and food wholesale distributors for a long, long time, and their margins are thinner than a razor. Hmm. So in some cases, the only way that food distributors, for instance, make a profit is by forward buying hedging inventory ahead of a price increase or when there's a discount. Otherwise, they literally make negative net margins. Wow. Well, you it's know, crazy. It is. And, and the other, uh, this is a great article, uh, but one of the other big, big changes, shifting of the dynamics is, is now, uh, you know, you got four companies, at least when it comes to uh, beef processing, that make mm-hmm. up, you know, some 85, 90% of the market. So if one of those goes down versus, you know, how disseminated and how widespread all the processing, you know, they say 60 years ago it was. And when these major players go down, it's going to cause a big ripple effect across industry. So, um, but a great story, and, and, and it is good news. And Greg, hopefully, they're able to um, maintain those tight margins while you know protecting their operations. We shall see. Um, I want to say hello. Room Bizai is back with us from Zimbabwe via LinkedIn. Hey, great to see you back. We've enjoyed your participation in a couple of these. Uh, sessions here. John Buglino agrees with you. No excuses. 100% Greg. Love that. Uh, Nerfad goes back to his prison trays. That really got his attention this morning. Nerfad says he was paying attention because that's what I was implying. (laughs) (laughs) When he went to prison, they looked a little less colorful. He was saying (laughs) with the picture we had. Uh, Good stuff there, Nerfad. Okay. So let's uh, let's do this. I want to bring in our two featured guests here today, and we're going to be talking about food, and retail supply chain. Yeah. Some observations here. Uh, Greg, I want to uh, welcome informally Jordan White, product manager with Crisp, and Jerry Stevens, VP of Global Sales with Outlier. Hey, hey good afternoon, gentlemen. Jerry, how you doing? Doing really well. Thank you. Nice to see you, Scott. Wonderful. You as well. Great to have you with us. And Jordan, good morning. Good morning. Good to be here. Definitely. Well, we enjoyed our pre-show conversation with you both, talking all things uh, Cincinnati and Utah, uh, Ohio and Utah, I should probably say. Uh, but before we get into uh, a really neat story that I think we all were, were checking out over the weekend, let's get to know y'all each a little bit better. So Jerry, starting with you, tell us a little about yourself and what you do. Yeah. It's, first of all, thanks for um, you know providing the time. I'm really excited you know, to have this conversation today. So just a little bit about me. I've been with a company called Outlier.ai uh, for the last couple of years. Uh, as you mentioned, I lead our sales organization, working you know, across many different verticals, including you know, what we're going to talk about today with regard to retail and, and food, et cetera. 
Um, and then what Outlier does, essentially, you know, I think Outlier is a leader in augmented analytics. Um, essentially, what we suggest to our potential clients and clients is that, you know, insights exist in your data and ex- they z- exist in your data every day. It's just a matter of what are the organizations doing to tap into the data and t- into the insights. So what Outlier does is automate that, automate the mining process mm. and delivers what we call stories uh, to individual users. So that's what that's what I do. And uh, personally, you know, I, 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 I don't uh, follow the Reds, Scott, as we talked about uh, previously. Uh, more of an ETL and soccer guy, but um, but really enjoying the Olympics today. But uh, you know, father of five, and uh, wow. yeah, and look forward to this conversation. Wonderful, man! I'd- How about Montgomery Inn? Do you follow the Montgomery Inn, Gary? <laughs> the Montgomery Inn has been good. It was, it's it's been good good to me over over my lifetime. I'll just leave it. And that is a legendary yeah. restaurant in a couple different cities in Ohio. And they also uh, make a great barbecue sauce, which you might can find in your grocery store. So great to have you here, Jerry. Um, and gosh, father of five, you've got your own significant supply chain. Uh, you're working in your own, <laughs> leading your own house. So yeah, um, that lunch example kind of looks like our, <laughs> our pantry. <laughs> so Jordan, good afternoon. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. You bet. So yeah. same question for you. Before we get started and start talking shop, tell us a about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I come from the food industry, both food retail um, and CPG, Walmart and General Mills. Um, but currently, like you said, I'm at a company called Crisp, which is a software company that makes uh, data software for food companies. Yep. And uh, essentially what Crisp does is unsilo data. And so our mission is to reduce food waste um, and improve brands, food brands, profitability, retailers, profitability. Nice. And when data is in silos, bad decisions are made. And so it creates, you know, lack of profit and, and also food waste. And so we have connectors that basically say, if you want to get data out of UNFI, we talked about food distributors mm-hmm. um, if you want to get data out of unfi and you want to take it into your cloud or power bi or whatever it's kind of like a a la carte mix and match you want to take it from here to there we help you do that kind of platform and, mm. and at crisp i'm a i'm a product manager and so it's uh it's my job to make sure that people love the product um i spend a lot of time talking to people in the food industry and finding out um what pain points they have and then i implement that along with my team and, and all the software engineers into the product. Love that. So, yeah. So, uh, gosh, Greg, with... So, somebody's listening, Jordan. Thank you. <laughs> right. <laughs> and we could really, with, with Jerry and Jordan, I think we could solve some of the hardest-hitting data issues uh, around the world here. Nerfad says, man, I don't know Jerry, but that smile has a valuation of $9 trillion. <laughs> Looking forward to listening. Uh, Jerry, both y'all have got big fans already. And good morning, Catherine and Rhonda. Great to have y'all here today. All right, so Greg, before we dive into this article, based on uh, Jerry and Jordan's background, I think we're going to be uh, dwelling a bit on data and how analytics is powering global supply chain these days, right? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you know, the, and it it's been available for so long. I mean, I think back to I outed myself as as having worked in the food industry for a long time. I think back to initiatives back in the '90s where organizations were trying to share that data, but they were really doing it, I guess, in a less democratized fashion. Mm. 
right? They wanted to own the data and then charge everyone for it. And instead, I think what we've realized over time is that there, um, you know, is that the the data it belongs to the people who generate it, and they should decide should be able to decide how to how to share it, and then of course, um, and then you know, determine what conduits they want to use, like you you both have, in order to get the value throughout the supply chain. Yes. Data for the people. I love that. Okay. So moving right along. Uh, so the theme today, as we talked about for, before y'all joined us, food and retail supply chain check-in. So what's interesting uh, as, as uh, it's interesting how, um, how small the world is because all four of us, well, I think we're checking out this neat article by Michael Cannell uh, that came out this past yeah. week in our hometown, Greg, our hometown Atlanta journal constitution. I think this is the, the buzz, um, their first time ever being featured here on the Supply Chain. Right? Wow. I could be wrong. They really scored. We need to reach out <laughs> to them and let them know. That's right. Consumers. So it's titled uh, consumers wait or pay more as businesses wrestle supply chain woes. So, um, what's really neat about this article, you'll have to check it out. Uh, maybe we can drop a link in the comments. It really touches on a wide variety of supply chains from oysters, which Greg, we enjoyed last week, fuel pumps, joists, and a lot more. And, and, and really, um, you know, kind of levels of the, the table out a little bit. Yeah. What's that? And chicken. And chicken. That's right. But, um, Jerry, I'd love to, uh, first question for you. What were some of your key takeaways from this article, especially as you kind of look at industry through through that prism? Yeah, no, it's a good article. I, I I think the initial read, my my initial reaction uh, was to a, the simple common theme of you know demand versus supply, uh, with with the interplay of something like price. Uh, as we all know, uh, that that is the interplay and that is the important event that, that occurs. The, the 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 interesting note here is when you have such a macro event, which we don't have all the time, obviously, but it's this tie between the macro, the market, and then the individual data sets that is interesting because that's where you can test and really understand. Um, and to your point, it goes into different categories, you know, all the different areas. That's where you start to understand the differences between the levels of resiliency of the supply chains. In those areas, you know, paper towel resiliency is quite different than industrial manufacturing or auto parts, right? Uh, the other, the other nuance, and I, I don't think this is probably captured enough uh, when we think about demand and supply. And, and an article like this is just you know, testing the consumer behavior and acceptance. Um, and what I mean by that is there's this evaluation, as we all know, that typically happens between price and convenience. Mm. Um, will customers pay for convenience or will they not? Uh, and, and that's going to differ based on region, could be based on category. Um, so the question really for organizations is this, you know, what are they learning about consumer behavior? Um, you know, we, we talked a lot about supply chains. And I know it's why we're here today, but the interconnectivity between consumer behavior and supply chain is real. And I don't think uh, organizations do a really good job quite frankly, of connecting the two. Mm. And then finally, it's it's planning for what is next. And it's interesting that you put up, you know, that that piece on the um, the food for the schools and back to school, because I, I read an article recently uh, about holiday shopping um, and the fact that already, you know, organizations are trying to get out in front because lead time um, for, you know, impact, you know, areas or impact um, events are is expanded significantly. 
So, mm-hmm. you know, organizations are already worried about holiday, as they should be, right? Because, you know, getting the right amount in for the stores and supporting the holiday is going to be critical uh, to success as we move into uh, to next year. So those were, you know, the top two or three points that I really, you know, bridged out. Out of the, the fact that timing is everything, one car just died uh, recently. I have another transmission issue going out and another that it's taken me two months to get into the shop. So I'm, I'm kind of living and breathing this issue as well. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I had it tough with chicken wings, but. (laughs) (laughs) So before, so I appreciate you sharing Jerry and that that personal at the end, because we're all consumers at the end of the day and, and have to experience these same supply chain challenges as, you know, as practitioners. So, um, but I appreciate it. And before I go to Jordan, Greg, your quick take on some of what Jerry just shared. Well, I mean, Jerry nailed it. He, you know, first of all, you know that I believe the supply chain begins and ends with the consumer. And we have spent so many years in supply chain trying to predict items like this item <laughs> and what it's going to do and its seasonality and, and its activity and its trend. And notice that it doesn't do anything until I do something with it. So we are not predicting items. We are predicting the consumer. And that's going to be exceedingly difficult to do. As you were talking about holiday, Jerry, I was thinking, how are we going to predict what consumers are going to want? You know, we don't, we still don't know what stage of lockdown or openness that we're going to be at. Right. We don't know what stage of revenge travel people are going to be in. Are they going to be traveling for the holidays? Are they going to be buying big gifts? Are they going to be more conservative? We don't know a lot, you know, a lot of those things. But the other thing that, that, that pointed out to me that aside from just supply and demand that this exposed, it exposed uh, poor supply chain practice. I I am less likely to, as many of the hyperbolic uh, commentators do, less likely to say the supply chain is broken. I am more likely to say supply chain practice is broken. For instance, as you alluded to, the, the automakers, the reason they can't get chips is because they stopped ordering them. Mm. <laughs> And then they tried to get the chip manufacturers to produce chips without issuing a PO. Mm, yeah. So that bad practice has finally come home to roost. Companies who have had unresponsive uh, supply chains, as we were just we were just talking about in the previous article, right? Yes. The ones with great supply chains already, Dollar General, they did great. The ones with poor supply chains, like many of the apparel providers, they've done very, very poorly. So on that, I want to switch over to Jordan White. And Jordan, we're talking about this article, Consumers Wait or Pay More as Businesses Wrestle, like Hulk Hogan with Supply Chain Woes in the AJC. So tell us. You got to love, Jordan, that it's all about food, but the first thing they talk about is mechanics. So what was some of your key takeaways there, Jordan? Yeah, well, um, you know, right before the show, I was mentioning to you both actually um, that my dad runs an auto body shop. And he mentioned, you know, I am waiting, I don't know what he said, maybe weeks for a Honda bumper. And he was yeah. asking me why. And uh, I got the chance to explain to my dad the bullwhip effect, uh, which is a, a fun conversation to have on a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with my dad. Um, so, yeah, but um, <clears throat> I think. One of my biggest takeaways is that this will be um, a case study for the bullwhip effect for many years to come, and that's obvious. Um, but a few, a few other um, sub-lessons, I think, to, to take yep. away from this. I've heard the phrase that um, 
you don't win as a company, you win as a supply chain or companies don't compete, supply chains compete. I think that's really obvious here because you could have, if you're a manufacturing plant, you could have every piece except that one piece and from a supplier and you can't ship, right? So that's how you compete as a supply chain and not a company. And I think that's really relevant um, to this article uh, and obvious in the stories they give. And then the other one is that it, it mentions that the more complicated the supply chain, the longer it will take to reach an equilibrium. Right. And that's very interesting because, um, <laughs> uh, you know, companies who had a cost advantage before, it's turned into a disadvantage on the flexibility side. And so everything's flipped. Where those who had higher costs, they're more flexible now. Um, so it's pretty interesting, I think, to see those stories unfold in this article in that sense. And then I think my last and final takeaway is that how long will it take to find this equilibrium? I think that's the question all of us would like to, to figure out and know, but um, that's, a, that's a tough one. Agreed, Jordan. In fact, over the weekend, I watched a short little report uh, about a town in Kentucky where the local racetrack was being used to store Ford trucks that are ha still have the missing uh, computer chip in them. Chips. And yeah. We're talking hundreds, and that and that that racetrack is just one locations that they're storing it, and the and the residents were weighing in. It was a really neat little little story, but yeah, when do we reach that equal uh, equal equilibrium? That is a great question, rhetorical question to ask Jordan. Two other quick comments, and Greg, I'm gonna come back to you. Is I found in this article, and of course we're referencing this article in AJC by Michael Cannell. Um, it references how some of the innovation that's taking place. Because you're just they're just making do. They they referenced a uh, I think a home builder or maybe an architectural firm. And since there's a lack of joists, they're revisiting how they can change the design of buildings. They referenced a restaurateur. Uh, there's a um, some ingredients for uh, oysters Rockefeller that they've been making it for years and years and years. The customers are used to it tasting a certain way. Well, they can't get these ingredients, so they've had to now tinker with the recipe. And the chef was saying some folks love the the innovation and other folks stopped ordering them. So um, it really, it, it, it's, it's an interesting catch all article, but Greg, what, what uh, some of the stuff that Jordan shared there, what's. Well, it was that, that, those things, those adaptations that we've, we've all done, I'm sure at some point, you know, one of the things they said in the article is some, this was regarding the joists. Some customers don't want to wait. They'll, they want a dip. They'll take a different product. Other customers, We'll just stop buying chicken wings. Uh, but the other thing that they talked about was that manufacturers are still hedging because the underlying cause of this is no longer the pandemic. Mm. It's no longer the stop and start of the supply chain. It's the fact that our government, at least in the States, continues to pay people to stay home in droves. And they don't know what's going to happen. And therefore, these invest these um, manufacturers are not investing in additional inventory because they don't know when people are going to get back to work and all of this government subsidy is going to make yet another shift occur in the consumer base mm. in terms of how they spend, what they spend it on, when they get back to work and we can count on them staying at work to, to, um, you know, to stabilize and create this equilibrium, yep. right? Before the pandemic, there were at least 2 million supply chain jobs open, mm. right? As of, 
October, November of last year, there was plenty of opportunities to become employed coming back into the workplace. And yet we continue to pay people extra money from the federal government to stay home right now rather than work when there are plentiful jobs at higher rates. This was one misnomer that this article stated that people can't find good paying jobs. Virtually every single job out there pays more money than it did this time last year. So that's that's just a fallacy. But there are plenty of jobs out there and we need to let or make people get back to work. That will accelerate and it's a necessity before we're even going to approach equilibrium in the marketplace. So with that said, getting and getting past this article, so I appreciate everybody's take on this and, and great job, Michael Cannell and AJC here. Um, but Jerry, you know, kind of going broader, right? As we all know, somewhat all three of y'all have spoken to, the pandemic has uh, really done a great job in, in a weird way, but one of the silver linings has shined that light on some of the gaps that um, that exist uh, and has really exposed those gaps in, in, a, in a, a very impactful way. Um if you could speak to some of the gaps you're seeing from your purview and what are some of the things business leaders are doing to address these gaps? Yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, obviously we could talk, you know, a lot all day uh, about, you know, just on this particular question, but I think if I had to boil it down into three areas, it's, it probably starts with uh, when I'm, when we work with organizations, you know, the, the first really topic conversation is, you know, are, are, are the organizations asking the right questions? And what I mean by that is you have, you know, instances where just as an example, like sourcing diversification, um, you'd mentioned like chip manufacturing. Well, the, the problem, part of the problem with the chip manufacturing arena, if you will, and by the way, it's Kentucky Speedway. Yes. Scott is where all those cars are stored. Um, <laughs> it's not too far away from, from where I live. But the reality oh, is... Oh, it's an auto racing track, not a horse racing track. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. That's much more understandable. I can't imagine them closing a horse racing track this time of year. <laughs> That's right. I guess no. yeah, Kentucky takes you right to the Derby. I, that's, I didn't think about right. that. Um, so, Jerry, yeah. Kentucky track. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the sourcing diversification is one because like in the chip manufacturing, it's a very limited you know, set of suppliers um, within you know, chip manufacturing. So, you know, organizations are asking that question. Right? Is our is our sourcing strategy right? Is it set up such that we can enable the organization when something like this happens? Right? Obviously, we're in this macro environment, macro event. Um, but again, resiliency and building those capabilities, I think, would be really important. And the second question is, and I already hinted at it, is really are are the organizations building the right capabilities? Um, and you know, obviously, you know, I live in Jordan lives. Uh, we both live in the analytics world and in the data world. And I will tell you, and I see this every day, um, that organizations are struggling, whether it's data silos, whether it's connectivity of insights, whether it's in, and Scott, I think you mentioned this, uh, around collaboration. Um, all of those things are opportunities and capabilities that organizations really need to focus on um, to do more around the supply chain. And they, and they sound like organizational like opportunity. Well, they are organizational opportunities, but uh, for sure, uh, they need to be embedded in, in the supply chain arena as well. And really, the final piece is this area around, are they focused on the right things in supply chain? It's very easy for us to say, well, you need to focus end-to-end, right? Everyone's heard about this end-to-end mentality. And the reality is, you know, we, we don't have the capacity or the, the investment opportunity to, to really invest uh, end-to-end 
So really the focus needs to be on de-risking um, where those risks occur and that costs money. Um, mm-hmm. You know, up to this point, as we think about retail, and let's go back to that, I guess, for a second, the focus has been on the final mile. Um, and that's because consumer demand has changed, right? The options are increasing. But the problem with that, as we all know, uh, not prob- problem, but potential opportunity is profitability. The final mile is very, very expensive as you think about you know, supply chain. So reason would suggest, hey, let's definitely focus on this. But here's the reality. Um, the, the, the higher variation that happens upstream in terms of the supply chain has incredibly higher levels of downstream implications. So I, I think organizations are starting to think about things like sourcing that I just mentioned. We really need to start focusing way upstream, um, whether it's around demand planning or things like this, uh, much more than we have in the past because downstream, that's where we really get impacted significantly. Excellent point. I appreciate that. I'm going to pull a couple of comments in and Jordan, I'm coming to you. Gregory, the Shakespeare of supply chain from the Caribbean says thoughts on consumer behavior and supply chains. What requires a shift in paradigm from linear supply chain to circular supply chain circularity, uh, taking factors such as sustainability, accountability, CSR from a social, economic and environmental perspective. Good stuff there from Gregory. And I want to Nerfad says, uh, is this typhoon going to further delay these chip manufacturers from producing these chips? Probably. I think it gets much worse before it gets better. And I think there's a lot of consensus there. Jordan, you're saying, so So we're talking, I want to pose the same question to you. You know, the pandemic has exposed plenty of things across global supply chain, global business. But what are some of those gaps that, that uh, come uh, to the front of your mind and how are leaders addressing them? Yeah, I think... Um I was actually at General Mills uh, when everything started to happen, uh, panic buying, et cetera. And um, I think one of the things that is exposed from all of this is, is that, um, you know, you need data to be agile. And data is actually pretty hard still to access and, and get uh, for everybody. Um, and so I think it's, an, it's important to have data accessibility, but that's frankly not even good enough still because you need people or you need AI or a combination of the two to interpret that data. I think the demand for people who understand data and know how to work with it will go up. The demand for products such as Outlier um, will go up, et cetera. And so I think, uh, I think that will continue and that definitely was brought to light through all of this. Um, but on top of that too, um, you know, companies plan for risk, but what if risk is a moving target? Um, and you have a plan in place for the risk snapshot that you built your plan around, but if risk is a moving target in this world that we live in, um, things are so dynamic right now, especially, but as the years go on with different uh, effects, you know, digital and, and climate and otherwise, you know, risk is a moving target, I, I believe. And, and so how often are companies updating these plans and, and et cetera? Yep. Agreed. Uh, all right. So Greg, yeah, well, uh, coming to you uh, after Jerry and Jordan have shared some of their, their POV here, what sticks out for you? I think that's, you know, to the point that Jordan made, you know, risk, the greatest risk is demand. Jerry alluded to that before. 
Mm. We can't predict the creators of demand, right? I mean, I have to confess, General Mills may have actually, I may have impacted their earnings because I may or may not have ordered Cheerios (laughs) during the pandemic. But but by the way, they they last quite a while. Um, So thankful for that. Um, but I, but I think that's the thing is we still, and we keep coming back to this. How do we predict the consumer? Again, people are spending other people's money. There's right. All those people getting all those extra unemployment benefits are spending my money. So why do they care what they spend it on? And they're spending it on RVs. They're spending it on boats. They're spending it on mountain and beach homes. And, and that's changing the pattern of things. And that's, you know, that is a bullwhip impact in and of itself. And, and, you know, one of the things we have to figure out is, and this is the risk, as Jordan was talking about, the risk is we predict that consumers will do something and they do something dramatically different. And I think that risk is very, very significant right now. It really is. We, we, we're just kind of taking a shot in the dark. No one in the history of Earth has ever faced a seismic societal disruption like this. It happened to the entire planet. Well, okay, maybe Noah and the ark, but there were only a few people left after that. So it was a lot easier to handle. But aside from that, right, this is the greatest, most impactful societal and supply chain disruption ever to occur in the history of Earth. So where do you go for analytics in that? And as, you know, as both Jordan and Jerry have talked about, we have plentiful data. We don't have plentiful means for assembling and, and interpreting and sharing and using and acting on that data. Mm. And that's, that's really sort of the world that we're left in. It's why solutions like CRISP and Outlier are so impactful to be able to give us what we should be getting from data is more than just a report. It's a recommendation. Mm. And, and I think that, you know, that's one of the things we need to think about. Remember just a few years ago when Jordan and Jerry and all of us experienced this date, you know, big data was the issue. Well, we got what we wanted. We got big data and it's a big mess in most cases. So we've got to be able to, we've got to be able to distill that down into something workable, don't we? Um, so I want to circle back. I want to talk more about, you know, with some of the remaining time we've got, I'm going to take a couple of comments from our community. And then I want to talk more, a little more about that risk management and some of what Jordan shared there. But first I got a text from my oldest, uh, Greg Cheerios are terrible. Captain Crunch Bears is where it's at. So that's from my oldest, <laughs> uh, Brantley, Greg, just so you know. Uh, he hates Cheerios? <laughs> yeah. What about Honey Nut Cheerios? Oh, even worse. Uh, so Tim, so Tim says, Healthcare has been detached from upstream impacts on products. We relied too heavily on outside service providers to manage that side of the supply chain for us. A big mistake. Chris Barnes. Hey, Chris is host of Supply Chain is Boring here at Supply Chain Now. Great to see you, Chris. He says, regarding the food supply chain, a great quote from one of the most boring episodes on Supply Chain is Boring. (laughs) Rebecca Costa, American sociobiologist and futurist, said, Quote, anarchy is five missed meals away, end quote. How about that? Um, but so risk, risk, you know, risk is risk management, risk strategy. Uh, you know, companies have been doubling, tripling down on that for years now. And the pandemic is only going to accelerate that. All three of y'all spoke to 
you know, risk in some of your responses. Um, Jerry, I want to speak, get you to speak to something you and Jordan, both, you know, if your organization and its leadership is using data, um, much more proactively, smartly, um, pro, you know, for, in, in a, in a forward looking manner, I imagine when it comes to effectively managing risk, you've got a, a leg up in that regard. Would you agree? Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. I mean, if, you know, we, as we work with organizations, it's especially as we think about supply chain, it's almost the number one topic that comes up. And so it is a focus area um, that we see across, you know, many different verticals to be candid with you as we work, for example, you work in an industrial environment and, um, you know, the article highlighted the rest there, which is more or less lead time versus when you're working in that kind of high velocity grocery environment, it's more about, you know, can, can we can we hit the two day turnaround that Walmart expects, all right? Otherwise we're gonna be fine, um, you know, because that's the SLA, right? That, that's, that's what we need to deliver against. So, you know, the different risks for different verticals, but what we have found is those organizations that have been able to tie uh, an analytical capability or community around demand planning, fulfillment, transportation, warehousing, and manufacturing and production, um, th those are functionally aligned and those are functionally integrated, right? So, you know, demand planning has their demand planning and then it's handed up. The reality is the organizations that, that enable the capability for that analytics community to tie all of those together, where you have risk identified upstream and downstream, um, those, th that level of analytics, th those insights, will enable that organization to create, you know, not only a sustainable advantage, but also an efficiency that, you know, hopefully will enable them to have competitive advantage as well within their community. And it's it's hard to do. This is mm -hmm. a very, very difficult thing to do. Because as Jordan mentioned, the, the data sometimes is siloed. It's tough to get to. Um, but those organizations who are focused on it will end up winning um, in, in the near term and the long term. Yeah, agreed, Jerry. Uh, Jordan, same question to you. I like this notion of moving risk because um, all of it isn't always moving. I, th I would argue there's some there are some components of of risk that you know it's the same that was 20 years ago and two years ago. But but to your point, there is evolving risk and and the blind spot. You know you don't never you never fully uh, eliminate that. Uh, but Jordan, speak to speak to the use of data and, and and how smart data policy maybe can help you impact and shape and win the battle against risk. Uh, for risk management? Yeah, I think a smart data policy, um, there was a comment earlier about changing the way we look at supply chains. And um, I'd have to agree somewhat with that, that a data, a good data policy is a bit more organic. I, I think I look at it more like, does my data flow like blood in the body? Um, is it a circulatory system that nourishes every part of the organization? And is it freely accessible? And like, if you think about your body, when you get hurt, the blood flows to that part of your body to nourish that part. And that's how I think data needs to flow. Hmm. It needs to be there and just going to every corner of, of the organization. I love that visual, uh, Greg, yeah. that yeah. Jordan just that painted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, seriously, that's genius. You know, we're always talking about the heartbeat, but we aren't really talking about the blood of the body, which does sustain and heal. So, yeah, that's. Great analogy. Excellent point. A uh, couple of comments here on a lighter note. I tell you, start talking cereal and you start getting, <laughs> folks are engaged. Frosted Flakes. Also a huge Frosted Flakes fan. <laughs> so, 
Greg says Cheerios for those over 50 help with other issues. Brand is a good, good one. Uh, Tom says, can you get Cheerios in the dollar store? <laughs> um, and then Charles. How many do you get for a dollar? That's the yes. question. <laughs> uh, five missed meals is one step away from, is it autography? Autophagy. Autophagy. Uh, I don't know. So, Charles, great to have you here today. And you're we need on Tim a room to tell us what that is. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Uh, I do want to go back up to, since we got a little, uh, another, just one final question for you both, and then we're going to make sure folks know how to connect with you. So, Tim talks about defining risk. What does it look like on the horizon of supply chain management? I think data analytics and predictive analytics, which both of y'all have been speaking to, uh, Jerry and Jordan, but what say you? AI should be a partner in managing risk. Uh, so if you can give us your Reader's Digest answer when it comes to this, uh, Jerry, I'll start with you. That's a good, I mean, it's, it's a fantastic question and it's it's a difficult answer. Um, you know, what I, you know, the, the area that we work within now is uh, as we think about the implications of AI or the opportunity for AI, it's, it's this uh, emerging technology that can enable organizations to be smarter, faster. Um, and what I mean by that is if we go back in the old days, if you will, uh, most forecasters were, were drummed up on a, like a 60 or 90 day kind of window. The reality is that that kind of flies out, right? That's kind of gone. What AI and ML enable organizations to do is just be, be much more tapped into not only singular data sets, but also multiple, learn across those relationships and be much more informed um, or informing the organization much more uh, to make better decisions. Uh, and, and do that faster. You know that it, when you're leveraging AI for something like you know demand or expected values is what we call them. Uh, it just becomes much more dynamic and much more learned because you are tapping into the multiple data sets that are tangential and not just singular in nature. And I think that's the power of it, right? And Jordan mentioned it, which is you know connecting to those multiple areas, um, having the technology identify those relationships. And then informing the organization, there's always going to be people making the decisions, to be honest with you. That, that's kind of our mantra, is people just need to be enabled more than they are today. Um, and the technology needs to take that burden and the heavy lift. And that's what we, we aim to do. But that's the implication is just faster, more informed decisions, leveraging AI moving forward. Love that. Um, all right. So, Jordan, you're getting a, a bunch of responses on your blood uh, analogy. Good tie-in, Jordan. Nerfot says, let the bleeding begin. Oh, gosh. And uh, <laughs> a few others. But, hey, Jordan. You'd have to know Nerfot, Jordan, to know that that's, that's an affirmative statement. <laughs> that's right. So, uh, so, same question to you, you know, uh, which is posed from Tim. on the, what you know, Looking forward on the horizon. Um, what say you there? Data analytics, predictive analytics, AI, you name it. Just further expound on that, if you would, Jordan. Uh, yeah, I mean, I remember, um, you know, being trained on forecasting and, and doing forecasting and every, they say, right, every forecast is wrong. It's just all about how wrong right. you are. Um, and, you know, I think the same goes for risk. A forecast is really just all about risk anyway. So I think it's all about deciding what amount of risk are you comfortable with? And Frankly, a lot of companies decided they were comfortable with a certain amount of risk, and and then they faced that risk going into the pandemic. And so, um, I certainly think that AI and all of these tools can help, no doubt. Um, but 
it always requires tuning, right? If you have AI and machine learning, you have to decide partially how accurate is accurate enough um, and and how much risk am I willing to take? Mm. Successful application and then successful uh, adjustments and tweaks and, and you name it. Uh, it's never said it and forget it like our dear friend Ron Papil, is it, Greg? <laughs> That's right. Said it and forget it. When you said Popeil, I instantly thought pocket fisherman, but yes, I know you're thinking set it and forget it, <laughs> but I can't remember what product that is. No. Uh, but, you know, I think there's a couple things here, and um, I, I am going to respectfully differ with Jerry in that I don't think human beings will always make the decisions. They certainly won't and certainly don't even today make all the decisions. What I think, where I think, but but they will make a good, good portion of these. What the intent of AI is to do is to learn those things that human beings can learn but can't remember to execute on, right? AI never gets emotional. It never forgets the steps. It never forgets all of the facts. It never forgets to factor in condition A and condition B, whereas we humans do. I think one of the things that's coming that isn't mentioned in this comment is prescriptive analytics. It already exists. I have an ancient company that has been doing prescriptive analytics for decades now, and it's been incredibly helpful. At the same time, when we weren't or our intelligence was not able to make the decision for the user, we then left you know, the, the decision to the user, because this is what human beings are really good at. And it's evidenced by veterans like Scott Luton every day, inadequate data, instantaneous decisions that mean life or death or business life or death. Those will always be made by human beings because AI takes a tremendous amount of data. So just to fine tune your point, Jerry, a little bit there. And, and then, you know, the, the other is this presence of silos and, and um, you know, and, and how data it, uh, is, is impacted and how it's used within companies. That definitely needs to change to enable a lot of what we hope data and, then, and the intellectual, uh, uh, intellectual technology around it can do for us in the future. So, yep. Yeah. Well said. The, the, the only thing, if, if I will, Greg, that I would add is uh, I do agree with you uh, holistically. Uh, but the, the, only, the only nuance that I was suggesting is there there's generally is always an art uh, yeah. to some of the decisions that need to be made. Yeah. That's the only thing I was uh, I was referencing. Is I, I think art will continue to exist, although science should play a heavier hand. Yeah. And, and you know what? That enables human beings to do what they're best at and are most satisfied doing anyway right it exactly we don't want to do the same thing over and over again we don't have to want to rack our brains for something that's happened a half dozen times that if we impart our knowledge into artificial intelligence it can do without us needing to be there we have effectively made the decision yeah. we've just imparted that knowledge to the next generation mm. which happens to be ai instead of our kids so, so on a related note though, our kids, I hope. <laughs> on a related note uh, in terms of technology that basketball playing robot at the olympics has been turning some heads uh maybe the usa team needs it it could get past the likes of france who knows LeBron James jersey on it and we win the gold <laughs> that's right well hey uh, as much as i hate to kind of uh, bring it to a point we really enjoyed uh, y'all's perspective today on the news of the day, as well as POV around uh, data and risk and, and you name it. Um, let's make sure folks 
can connect with y'all post-show here today. Uh, and folks, looks like we're going to run a minute or two over, but that's okay. A lot, too much stuff to, to talk about and too little time. So, uh, Jerry, Jerry Stevens, we'll start with you, VP of Global Sales with Outlier. How can folks connect with you? Yeah, they they can you know use that to look me up online uh, for LinkedIn or, or Jerry at Outlier.ai. Uh, either way, and uh, I love you know supply chain. Love to talk about this stuff, and uh, would be happy to uh, to chat with anybody. Wonderful, and folks, uh, one click is is how we like to do it here. You'll find that contact information in the show notes. Same question for you, uh, Jordan White. How can folks connect with you? Yeah, um, so. For Crisp, it's uh, gocrisp.com. And for me, yeah, um, I'm like Jerry. I love to talk shop about supply chain. So LinkedIn or any of that, I'm happy, happy to connect. Love it. Uh, gocrisp.com, the URL, and Jerry's is outlier.ai. So wonderful to have Jordan White, product manager with Crisp, and Jerry Stevens, uh, VP Global Sales with Outlier with us here today. Gentlemen, hope you all have a wonderful wonderfully productive week and we look forward to hoping you uh, having you back here with us on supply chain now i enjoyed it thank you for joining us guys have a great week talk soon (laughs) hey uh sometimes the swoosh is just overloaded on these mondays right i think we were trying to be polite and let jordan finish his finish his his, uh exit right so yeah well well done uh it Gosh, um, too much to cover in an hour's time. Well, and as as Tom mentioned, where did the hour go? It just yeah. But you were gonna you were gonna make a point, Greg. Well, and what a topic! I mean, look, I, I think we underestimate data. We talk a lot about technology. We talk a lot about automation. We talk about all of these things. Every one of those things is enabled by the data that is underlying that, and these. Both of these guys, they um, express that, and it's interesting that they both kind of attack it from slightly different angles, right? But one, making the data more available, right, as it as blood in the body, genius, what a genius analogy, right? And the other, in taking that data, and just, I don't know if everybody caught it when you were looking at the screenshots for Outlier, but taking that data and saying, this is what you ought to learn, or this is what you ought to know, or this is what we're highlighting for you from this data, that is hugely powerful to be able to have data give you a, you ought to notice this because we found it in the data. That is incredibly valuable. Agreed. So and it, it is the advancement of technology that gives us the ability to do that, to learn more and more, to be high, have things highlighted more and more for us. So. Great conversation. It is powerful. Uh, and it's the future. It's the now, current state, and the future state. Uh, yeah. and it, it's fascinating to put our finger on the pulse and dive in with experts like Jordan and Jerry. And Greg, enjoyed your POV today. Uh, and that's going to have to uh, be a wrap for us yeah. here on the supply chain buzz. Um, folks, really enjoyed everybody's comments. I know we couldn't get, get to all of them. I really appreciate the, the insights and the expertise, as well as the sense of humor that folks always bring to our live streams. Really appreciate everybody uh, tuning in. Big thanks, of course, to our friends Jordan with Crisp, Jerry with Outlier. Make sure y'all connect with both of those gentlemen. Uh, Greg, uh, let's go out and have a wonderful week. But hey, folks, most importantly, most importantly, hey, do good, give forward, be the change that's needed. And with that said, we'll see you next time right here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. 
Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.